1: from Manukora. If you head to manukoracom slash Tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A.com slash Tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Henson Shaving, which is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. Visit hensenshaving.com slash tangents to pick the razor for you and use the code tangents and you'll get two years worth of blades free. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the Lightly Competitive Science Knowledge Showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green. And joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. I'm back, baby. You're back, baby. <laughs> All right, you two. What's your teen name? What does that mean? <laughs> Sari, just tell me and the people will figure it out. Don't explain this to them. Oh,
0: okay, no. don't explain it. Don't, don't explain the, it. Everyone's favorite thing, an inside joke that no one knows. Yeah. Uh-huh. My. My teen name is Mountain Dew Grape Fanta.
1: Mountain Dew Grape Fanta is a surprise to me uh, because of how Grape Fanta is so gross. (laughs)
0: It's so delicious is the thing about it. And all cool teens know that Grape Fanta Uh Is the hidden gem of sodas.
1: Oh, yeah. And all cool teens know that Mountain Dew is bad. I don't know, actually. Maybe these days they don't like Mountain Dew. Maybe Mountain Dew is a Gen X treat.
0: Well, I guess the other thing is I'm very, I was a very uncool teen. So maybe that's even more appropriate for my teen name Mm -hmm. to be so counterculture and just oblivious to it because I'm in my own little bubble.
1: Samuel Schultz.
2: Okay. My teen name is Squirt Lime Coke. (laughs)
0: that's a little raunchy though (laughs) my
1: name is say that on the on the science podcast nice to meet you that's (laughs) one of those nicknames for children that sounds quite innocent but actually isn't well when it was invented
2: yes (laughs) when it was
1: invented it was fine (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) since then the internet's existed and you know
1: (laughs) i used to be dr pepper pomplomose Lacroix. of course i think i've come around on dr pepper and i might be more just like straight diet Pepsi Pomplamoose LaCroix. Diet is almost cheating because diet anything is disgusting. But I don't think you're right, Sam. I think a lot of people really love diet Pepsi and especially uh, diet Coke. Yeah, Cokes. that's like, true. I know people who drink so much diet Coke. That's true. And I think, I think mo- maybe
2: of... more people like diet Pepsi than real Pepsi. Who likes real Pepsi? <laughs> Show of hands. Sorry know. to Pepsi. The only time. Do I you really? A...
1: Yeah, yeah they're real.
0: Pepsi i think pepsi tastes better than coke if, <gasps> so if
2: you're at a restaurant and somebody says coke is we don't have coke pepsi's okay you go absolutely i love pepsi even and better. then they
1: yeah
0: kick you out of the like, restaurant i'm thrilled
1: this is a social experiment you're not supposed to say yes sari you have you have said so many things that have shocked me just about your sort <laughs> of like your the way that you perceive the universe differently from me
0: my perception but of beverages. I, pr- specifically.
1: <laughs> I prefer Pepsi is really throwing me for a loop. <laughs> Every week here at SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze, and delight each other with science facts and also teen names, which we still didn't explain to you. And I guess we're just not going to.
2: I don't even know if you can watch the thing that explains what it I is. I don't anymore. know if you can. <laughs> there's probably clips. I bet there's yeah. clips.
1: Just search just Google names. it. names. Yeah. Our panelists are playing for glory but also for Hank Bucks, which I'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of you people will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem. This week from Sari.
0: A central quest of being human is to somehow delay death. And today that has turned into an avoidance of bad breath. Is there something more innate that's going on behind the scenes? Or does culture dominate all of our rise and shine routines? It seems that the root of hygiene is fighting off disease by wiping up or washing hands off after you have sneezed. There is something biological, behavioral in genes. Ants and cats and birds and apes all take the time to preen. But then there are subjective things like shaving off your hair. Is it for bugs or social pressures that shape what we bear? Mammals cleanse their fur of dirt or grime that leaves a sheen. But how much soap or elbow grease even counts as clean? So when it comes to hair or skin or teeth and caring for you best, a part of it is science, but then we make up the rest.
1: Mm, we not? just make up the rest. It's The topic the of the day is hygiene, which th- what you're saying is th- I probably do more than I need to is what I'm hearing. And I'm going to take that to heart. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it does seem like you can look around at all, at all the, the rest of the animal kingdom and be like, we're doing something wrong. Cause they aren't they aren't doing any of the stuff we're doing, and they don't stink too
1: bad. I smell my cat every day; she smells great. Yeah, but cats do wash a lot, but we but just in their own way. I wouldn't want to do it the way the cats do no. uh, by just by licking myself. Mm-mm. But also, just so you know, animals experience a, a great deal of negative consequences from not having hygiene. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. I I often hear this is like, why don't dogs have to brush their teeth? And it's like, well, eventually they, they get dental disease and it's very bad and they die. of
0: oh, it. okay. Uh, especially in the wild. Well, you can see, you can like open up your little dog or cat mouth and you can see them. They're yeah. kind of gooey and gunky. They got stink mouths for sure. Definitely. And you That's do got to brush their teeth yeah. at some point if you like want them to maintain like their teeth. I not have out never
1: bit. brushed my cat's teeth. I guess I haven't
0: brushed a cat tooth. I've I used to brush my dog's teeth
1: growing yes. up. I wouldn't, I'm scared to go in there with the cat peeve. Pointy and <laughs> small. Needles. Yeah, I was recently told that it was kind of cool for my cat. Like, cats biting is just like part of, you know, fun and play. And so I should just let, her, let him do it. Oh. But like, no. <laughs> Who told you that? Did a cat tell you that? I don't remember. Did your cat tell you yeah. that? <laughs> it was just cats on a podcast. Yeah. yeah <laughs> pretending to be people. Probably what it was. It's fun.
0: Just play. <laughs> with your
1: cat. Has anybody ever actually seen the McElroy Brothers? Because <laughs> I think they're just three cats. <laughs> hygiene though. Sarah, hygiene. what's hygiene?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of a segue, so that works great. Um yeah I think there is a lot of misconceptions around hygiene but there are also a lot of unknowns about hygiene which makes room for those misconceptions. Colloquially it's any sort of like cleanliness around yourself or your surroundings and so that can mean like microbiologically fending off germs or disease in various ways washing hands uh or cleansing yourself of dirt or grime that could become breeding grounds for bacteria or other other things. Medically or societally, it can mean sterilization of equipment or like water or sanitation systems, waste disposal systems. But then I think a lot of times when people talk about hygiene, they're talking about like morning routine stuff. So um, do you bathe? Or do you like wipe your butt when you poop? Or uh, are you modifying your keratin in some way? Are you like cutting your hair or trimming your nails? Um, Are you brushing or flossing your teeth? And then, and and, like those in general have a relation to medicine. Um, In general, taking care of Mm. yourself in those ways can reduce the chance of abrasions or um, infections or, or whatnot. But then Also layered on top of that are like societal or cultural pressures for hygiene and what is hygienic in one society can vary or not. Like some cultures encourage beard growth and maintenance Mm. in some ways. Some cultures are like clean shaven is more hygienic. Um, Different smells are considered more or less hygienic. Uh, Deodorant is a fairly recent invention and push Mm. to society. Um, and covering uh-huh. it up with perfume or or other like artificial or concocted scents as opposed to like having natural body odor and oh and I guess to like the argument that hygiene like we don't have to do it like we've been doing hygiene for a long time mm-hmm, um, I so. tried to look back at human history and what's tricky is that Like, you can't necessarily fossilize hygiene. Like, you can't tell how someone smelled based on their bones. Uh, Like, those aren't aren't stinky Hank bones. Those are fresh Hank bones. Uh, But we have evidence through artifacts. So, like, combs or stones Mm -hmm. that we think were used as, like, abrasives to remove hair or, like, old versions of razors. Or, like, art and texts of people describing things al jazari who is my favorite uh mesopotamian like roboticist he made all kinds he (laughs) had this whole book of (laughs) mechanical devices with these elaborate illustrations is he the
2: only mesopotamian roboticist (laughs) no (laughs) probably
1: (laughs) not okay
0: (laughs) probably not but he's the famous guy
1: okay yeah i mean there's a bunch now um, yeah, sure. Yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> but in in older times, uh, in like the <laughs> you know, Just people living in that part of the world, yeah, people also living, working
1: with the robots. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: He did it. He did it like a couple thousand years ago, um, and he designed like an automaton for ritual hand washing, like a mm. peacock oh. or spout or things like that. So interesting. In the Bible, they're they're always yeah.
1: anointing people with oils and they're washing each other's feet.
2: The hand-washing thing is, like, robot is interesting to me, I guess, because I know about, like, the doctors who were like, hey, you don't got to wash your hands, don't worry about it. Is that just, like, something that we had gone back and forth on? Or were they washing their hands because they were sticky? Then germs were another thing that we didn't think about yet. I guess your hands have always been yeah, sticky. you eating honey point. all the time, probably. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mesopotamian food. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah,
0: little figs. Uh-huh. I think we went back and forth on it. I think a lot of earlier hand-washing from what I have gathered was more intuition-based. So, like, something disgusting happened and I must cleanse right. myself. My hand's stinging. Or Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. stinky. I got to fix that. Or there was a lot of association with, um, like, you can't use unwashed hands to pray at an altar in various religions uh-huh. or uh-huh. A, a lot of, like, religious significance or spiritual significance. There was a lot right. of like, you must wash before you interact with a sacred object. And that was probably because when people didn't wash their hands, they got sick. Yeah. And so then there was some Everybody's correlation between altar, unwashed hands and, and the then, devil. Yeah, um, mm. But then I think to cross over from religious intuition or personal intuition into scientific practice, there was yeah. a level of doubt of like, Ooh. well, Why? That, why are you? Why are you making this do this? That makes sense.
1: So, and I assume that the word hygiene comes from just the guy named Gene, and we just like say hi to him at why. He's the guy who washed your feet. Hi, Gene. While we do our teeth. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. He's yeah, the, he's the he foot did guy. your
0: feet. He did your hands. Um, it was from in, a super guy. Into kind feet of. and hands. <laughs> 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 from the Greek word hygiene, uh, which is the healthful art, from oh. Hygis, oh. uh, which is healthy or sound or hardy or living well. Um, who was pers- and all these like concepts were personified as the goddess Hygieia. So oh, there was there was a there guy, was a lady. There was a lady, wow. yeah, a lady guy. Um,
2: so I could go like- back in time to ancient Greece and say hygiene, and people would be like, "You're from here, welcome, welcome home." Uh uh-huh.
0: huh. Yeah. They're like, "She's that way. Wash your hands <laughs> yeah. before before going." Yeah.
1: <laughs> and they'd just be following you around, being like, "You want us to wash your feet? I don't know why we do that, <laughs> oh. but we do that a lot." <laughs> Not again. Yeah. Thanks, so. They're pruned <laughs> up. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's make more podcasts by playing this week's game. Are you ready to do it? Yeah. Yes. Humans are always finding new and interesting ways to approach our grooming, and going through history shows us all sorts of examples of our hygienic ingenuity. So today, we're going to be going back in time to revisit some of those developments with a game of the scientific definition. I'm going to name some kind of item to you, and you're going to have to both describe to me what you think that item is, and whoever comes closest to the actual answer, as judged by me, wins. Word number one. Phrase number one. Thing number one is the mustache spoon. I oh. feel like
0: I'm at a disadvantage having never had a mustache. I don't know if I Sam can't. has ever had a mustache. Sam's I never had
1: a mustache? Oh. Well, okay. You don't know me.
2: <laughs> you never known me my whole life. But that is true, sadly. I tried to grow a mustache at the beginning of the pandemic, much like many people did. Didn't work mm-hmm. out. That was a safe time to try to grow a mustache because you don't, nobody was seeing you. had a mask on all the time. Nobody was seeing you. It's great. But I cannot. Confirmed. Cannot. I tried for months. Didn't work.
1: Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so my facial hair is, is finally growing back after chemo. And the, I swear that I have way more facial hair than I did before oh. treatment. And I'm like, should I try and grow it out and see if I have yes. facial hair now?
2: I think you should grow a mustache f- for sure. The mustache spoon... <clears throat> Maybe it's not even have to do anything with the mustache, but it probably does. I bet it gets boogers out of your
0: mustache.
2: Because I bet you that. get, I don't know, maybe you get boogers in a
1: mustache. I would be worried about that.
0: Okay, a mustache spoon. I think it is. I like, <laughs> this is a real stretch of my empathy. I can't imagine what it's like to have a mustache. I'm going to say it is something you use to like apply so oh. instead of removing something you applying something like like how you apply beard oil you apply oh, mustache oil something. with a mustache yes. spoon and it's I just like that. a little tiny guy that you're like
1: alright I think that though you're both wrong Sari is closer because oh. the, what, the, the thing is being is going in not coming off <laughs> okay. <'Cause> the mustache <laughs> spoon was designed to help men with large mustaches eat food without getting oh. dirty so obvious <laughs> It's so literal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so literal. It was very common in the Victorian area in many countries for men to have big elaborate mustaches, but that of course yeah. comes at the cost. Uh, eating was particularly perilous. Ugh. If they were consuming something hot, the wax holding their mustache shape in place might melt. Oh, worst no. of all, they could end up with food in all of their facial hair. Oh. So they had the mustache spoon, which was a spoon with an added piece of metal called a mustache guard. <sighs> and the guard was set above the bowl of the spoon so that as the user bought, brought the spoon to their mouth, the guard would prevent anything from touching the mustache uh, and in addition to mustache spoons, there were mustache cups that featured various guards to protect the user's mustache from hot tea or other beverages
0: You could also not slurped, you could have just gone like, like here comes the airplane ah, oh. Oh, and then that's hop, it hop. That's no true. no sipping nothing tilting yeah, no into your mustache at all. Tea these too. Were, just These oh, were fancy yeah.
2: times. Yeah, just drink about, your though.
1: tea like the the guy from the Man Show with two beers. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> oh. The guy from the Man Show. <laughs> he probably had a mustache. You remember that? <laughs> God, <laughs> I'm don't. old. I'm still old, you guys. I'm just <laughs> as old as I was at the beginning of the podcast. A little bit more even. All right, the Man Show. Uh, court number 2. If is sphagnacans. What? Sphagnacans.
0: Wow. Would you pass that sphagnacan? Hey there. Nice sphagnacan you got there. I'm trying to like <laughs> test it out, see the taste of the word. Um, applied makeup.
2: I'm going to say it applied makeup of some applies sort. makeup. You apply makeup yeah. with a sphagnacan.
0: <laughs> I do think it's like some sort of like napkin.
1: Mm. Oh, shoot.
0: Or yeah. something like that. I'm going to say it's like to wipe off a seat before you were going to sit. It's mm. like a a specific handkerchief, yeah. heavy-duty handkerchief, where you're like, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to sit here, wipe yeah. it off with a sphagnacin.
1: Sam, just for clarity, you're still on makeup, right?
0: Yeah. I know it's a butt thing, okay. but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Still on makeup. It's not a butt <laughs> thing, okay. But that might have gotten you closer than Sarah. But Sarah certainly, with a heavy-duty napkin, has has got it because it okay. was a, a, an early commercial feminine hygiene product, mm. which gets its name mm. from one of its main materials, which is sphagnum moss. I don't know if you know about mm, sphagnum, that. but it's okay. a moss and it's yes. absorbent. Uh, has a lot. Of, so uh, prior to the development of sanitary napkins. People who menstruated would use pieces of cloth to absorb the fluids instead. The first disposable product for menstruation was sold in 1896 by Johnson & Johnson. So they were up to it even back then, but it didn't (laughs) sell particularly well. The creation of better surgical dressings during World War I led to the creation of better menstruation products as well, including the Sphagnacin, which was created by uh, the Sphagnum Moss Products Company. (laughs) (laughs) it's like what do we do with this moss (laughs) i just gotta come up with more ideas we got so much damn moss Uh, a sphagnum moss can absorb more than 20 times its dry weight in fluid and also has antibacterial properties Uh as a sanitary napkin the moss was wrapped up in gauze and sold with safety Hmm. pins that you could use to attach it to undergarments the package featured a girl dressed up in a uniform similar to those that Red Cross nurses wore. Ultimately, Sphagnikins didn't sell that well, though, losing out to Kotex and its cotton equivalents that showed up in the market around the same time.
0: I think the marketing strategy was wrong. I think you don't d- dress them up as a little nurse. You dress them up as a little like forest gremlin. Little like, you want to be one with nature?
2: <laughs> Use moss. <laughs>
0: Of course you're not going (laughs) to win with cotton if you have a little nurse. You have to lean into Mm -hmm. your demographic. of A lady crawling out of the
2: swamp. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, Sarah's killing it so far. And our final word, uh, word number three, is a beard token.
0: I I'm probably going to lose this one, but it popped into my head and I love it. A beard Mm. token is like (laughs) a locket for a beard that you loved very, very much. Once you shave it off,
2: you collect all the
0: little shavings and you put them Mm -hmm. in a beard token and then you're like ripped to that beard. Man, I love that. Keep it close to
2: my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not even going to try to top that. It's like a it's like a thing you'd give to a barber. And they'd cut your beard for free, or something like that. One mm. free
1: beard trimming, please. That is definitely closer to the true fact, Sam. Wow, okay. Which, uh, in in that it is like related to money and it's a kind of currency. So beard tokens were a coin given to Russian men in the 18th century to show that they had paid their beard tax. So you could be like the official would be like, you got a beard and you'd be like, "Nope, I'm good. I did it. I paid my beard tax." Because okay. in 1698, when Tsar Peter the Great returned from a trip to Europe that inspired his plan to Europeanize Russia, in part through style changes like removing facial hair, uh, uh-huh. he gathered various diplomats and aides, and then he uh, bought a barber's razor so that he could shave all their beards himself. Wow. <laughs> shave it by the Tsar. Amazing. Presumably, uh, he could not be the personal barber to all of Russia, so he instituted a beard tax to incentivize people to shave their beards. To keep your beard, you had to pay 100 rubles. If you were a peasant, you could keep your beard until you went into a city, at which point you might have to pay a small fine. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but to show that you'd pay your tax, you'd be given a, topen- a token of copper, or if you paid more, you could get a silver one. The coin uh-huh. was embossed with the image of lips, mustache, and a beard. The tax was eventually repealed, though, uh, in like a hundred years. It's
2: a handsome token,
1: though. Yeah, I want one. I bet yeah, they're very expensive. Maybe but we could fake them. We could make a fake beard token. Make fake beard tokens. Mm-hmm. This company right here already is doing that. You can get them for $10. Yep. You can buy them from the <laughs>
2: Smithsonian as well. So, <laughs> Dang it. Other people had the idea first. The beard token of the month club.
1: That's Hank's new club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, Sari is still in the lead with two to Sam's one. Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it's time for the fact off.
2: SciShow Tangents is brought to you today by Henson Shaving. I am a beard shaver, and as such, I got to tell you, shaving can be not fun. You can go to the store and get some cheapo razor that's going to clog it up with every swipe and go dull almost instantly, or you can get a subscription razor and be stuck with a razor that only takes like one kind of razor head, and it might just clog up and go go dull too, then what are you going to do? And ouchie, your poor face, dull razor, no good.
1: Well, my friends, let me tell you about Henson Shaving. It's a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer. They've made parts for the International Space Station for Mars Rovers, and now they're making parts for your face. They're bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. Bad shaving isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. Razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more wobble. The more wobble, the more nicks and cuts and pulls and scrapes. And by using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which if that sounds pretty small, that's because it's pretty small. It's less than the thickness of a human hair. And that means a secure and stable blade and a wobbleless shave. And the razor features built in channels that make clogging virtually impossible. Even better, the Henson Razor works with standard dual-edged blades that you can buy any old place to give you an old-school shave using new-school tech. Once you own a Henson Razor, it's only like 3 to $5 per year to replace the blades. Henson Shaving wants to make the best razor not the best razor business, which means no plastic, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, no planned obsolescence. That's wild. Who would do that? Only a madman.
2: <laughs> <And> look... <laughs> <laughs> I shaved with a razor from Henson for this very episode. Look oh, how smooth. Am too. I silky smooth? Baby bottom smooth? Absolutely. The thing that I really like about it is that there's no plastic handle. There's no nasty little plastic cartridge that gets all gunky and you have to throw away every few weeks. It's all metal, baby. So it's helping me cut down on my plastic consumption, which hosting the show has made me very anxious about.
1: It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a precision engineered razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com tangents to pick the razor for you and use code tangents and you will get two years worth of blades for free for, with your razor. Just make sure that you add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to hensonshaving.com slash tangents. Use the code tangents. Now get ready for the facts. Our panelists have all brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have all presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Fish can't just rely on the water all around them to keep them clean. Sometimes they need help removing ectoparasites on their bodies or bits of diseased skin. Luckily, in the ocean, there are small fish that help with that problem. These fish occupy small areas called cleaning stations that other reef fish can show up to for inspection. Between 2005 and 2009, scientists studying an area near the Philippines watched as pelagic thresher sharks approached a cleaning station run by a fish called the blue streaked cleaner wrasse. How long was the average shark visit to the cleaning station? I love that you said run by, like he's got a <laughs>
2: little business, which he does. He yeah, does.
1: Got a little business.
2: Come on by, visit <laughs> me. I'm I'm a yeah. fish. I think they're getting these sharks out. I think they're in there for yeah. four minutes tops.
0: I think they're luxuriating. I think this mm. is a, well. sit on down. We're going to wash your feet, <laughs> 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 clean your ectoparasites i think it's like 30 minutes like a full spot
2: oh wow i don't think a shark has 30 minutes to spare but okay yeah
1: sam true. is much closer It's six and a half minutes 6.27 if you want to <laughs> get all the significant figures in. in the paper the scientists called the visiting sharks clients which is it's even so better cute During the period they were watching the cleaning station, they documented 97 visits. See, they got a lot of sharks to get through. Yep, You're right, you're right. They take walk-ins. The (laughs) longest visit, though, was 23 minutes. Oh, that's
0: the king of sharks. Yeah, like the deluxe treatment,
2: or that was a That's nasty right. shark that stinky, stinky. Shark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Kept trying shark to leave, like, you they're didn't like... get the bit
0: back there. Oh,
1: boy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like when you like, you want to run through the, the car wash a second time, they yeah. always say that these like, do you want to go around a second time? And I'm like, nah, I don't actually care. <laughs> 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 All right. That means that, Sam, you get to go first. All right. Here I go.
2: Health, hygiene, and beauty tips are basically inescapable. For better and worse, things doctors hate, mind-blowing beauty tips of the stars, and today's hottest hairstyles (laughs) make up a not insignificant portion of clickbait headlines and banner ads. And even before the internet, magazines full of the same kind of tips sat and continue to sit in... Probably every grocery store in the entire world, I would guess. But just how far back does the human urge to give other people hygiene advice go? In 2016, a team of scientists were excavating the ancient city of Lachish, located in modern-day Israel on the Lachish River. This area was first inhabited by humans approximately 5,500 years ago. And one of its early inhabitants were a group of people known as the Canaanites. I think a Bronze Age ancient Near East civilization that was around during the second millennium BCE. So that's sometime between 2000 BCE and 1001 BCE. So this team is digging up some Bronze Age structures. They're finding all your basic archaeological type stuff like jars. Pieces of jars, etc. But they also found <laughs> a little ivory comb, which, as we have maybe mentioned at some point, I don't think we ended up doing it. Combs aren't that uncommon in artifact, I assume.
0: Mm-hmm. We probably
2: used a lot of combs in the species history. But the team recognized this comb as a lice comb. So they sent this comb back to the lab, determined it was from about 1700 BCE, uh, and they found a fossilized louse nymph on it, so that's pretty cool. After that, the comb sat around in the lab. I guess sometimes they would check it out again to see if they could find more lice or something, I don't know. But then in 2021, a researcher took a good look at some of the engraving and texture on the comb and noticed that the comb was, in fact, engraved with 17 one-millimeter-tall letters, forming seven words in the Canaanite language. In English, it translates to, may this tusk root out the lice of the hair and the beard. Ancient hygiene advice from the distant, distant past. But here's what you got to know about the written Canaanite language. It's thought to date back to enslaved and lower class people of ancient Egypt who weren't allowed to or able to learn the large and complicated hieroglyphic writing system used in Egypt. But eventually they Mm -hmm. were like, oh, we need a way to write our language down. So they adapted a few select hieroglyphics into symbols which translated into specific sounds thus creating what r- many researchers consider to be the original alphabet from which the Latin alphabet descended from <gasps> so back All to right. the comb Archaeologists have found examples of Canaanite writing on other artifacts in ancient graffiti, uh, and they've been able to piece together the language uh, from those and other ancient documents about the Canaanites. But this comb was the first time a full sentence from a primary source written in the Canaanite language was found, which also makes it most likely the oldest sentence that we've ever found written in an alphabetic script. And much like uh, the magazines and click clickbait of today is giving unsolicited
1: hygiene advice so you know
2: things haven't really changed that much if you think about it
1: <laughs> that's fantastic and i see how that would be helpful for the removal of like it's very specifically purpose-built for the removal of bugs and now we've got a very similar device today with those like super close together times that you mm-hmm. use with your child when they get lice
0: but they don't have fun messages on them i feel like that's a missed opportunity They should. This may this says,
1: separate may. you from your gross bugs kid <laughs> you nasty little kid you nasty little kid
0: or like you know how popsicle sticks have jokes on them oh yeah. have that on fun. it yeah what did one life say to another life uh i don't have yeah. a punchline like this
2: sucks or something i don't know i don't know what yeah, do. Right, i guess
0: this actually oh yeah this sucks
1: all right Siri, what do you have
0: so despite the fact that so many humans deal with menstrual hygiene directly or indirectly, the scientific literature is pretty scarce and public knowledge can mm. feel even scarcer. So mm. in 1980, when the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, pointed to superabsorbent tampons as a cofactor in causing a brand new illness called toxic shock syndrome, there was quite a public health scare. And I don't know about other people, but instilling fear of toxic shock was a key element of my teenage health education. (laughs) And this incident is actually the origin of all that. So for context, toxic shock syndrome is a pretty rare illness, but it can be life-threatening if you don't get treatment quickly. It can happen in any person infected with enough Staphylococcus aureus bacteria that there's a buildup of specific toxins in the bloodstream, which causes an overreaction from your immune system that leads to things like fever, low blood pressure, and organ failure, or possibly death. There were hundreds to thousands of cases of toxic shock syndrome in the US in the 1970s and 1980s, many of which were in menstruating people using super absorbent tampons, which is why the CDC sounded the alarms. And after years of research, I had to include this because I wanted to know. We learned why this happened, um, including things like the newish synthetic absorbent materials introducing pockets of oxygen into a typically anaerobic Mm. environment or Mm -hmm. causing abrasions to the vaginal wall. And the higher pH of menstrual blood, all of that kind of combined to the perfect storm that let already existing staph bacteria in some people multiply to dangerous levels. And mucous membranes allow things like toxins to absorb into the bloodstream more easily. But at the time, we didn't know any of that. And the CDC and FDA were just like, oh no, to be safe, people <laughs> should avoid super absorbent tampons because they seem bad. But mm. then they realized that companies were all making different claims about absorbency. Mm. And thus, The Tampon Task Force was assembled in 1982 by the American Society for Testing and Materials. It is a truly wild name for a group of companies, social activist organizations, and researchers that together had to try and agree with each other on menstrual hygiene, which is the wildest assignment to give that giant group of people, including Johnson & Johnson was there too. Uh, No sphagnum
1: moss. (laughs) Yeah, the the, the sphagnum moss people, however, had just gone back to the swamp. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) where they where they should be. Um, But basically, they came up with a standard scale of whether a tampon is regular or super or super plus by -hmm. measuring the grams of fluid it can absorb. To do that, they designed a wild contraption called the (laughs) Stingina, short for (laughs) synthetic vagina
2: <laughs> Oh boy! Uh,
0: shoved a tampon in and trickled salt water on it to measure absorbency which is weirdly uh, similar to all those commercials nowadays that people make fun of hmm? and anyone who knew even a fraction about menstruation was like wait salt water is nothing like the blood mucus cellular debris goop that tampons actually have to deal with and one lab went a little rogue And tested with expired donated red blood cells that they sourced from a nearby hospital and found that tampons actually absorb a higher mass of blood than saline solution, which Mm you think would be valuable data that other people would follow up on. But it didn't lead anywhere, mostly because the tampon task force was disbanded in 1985 after three short years, and we were left with synginas and saline solutions as the industry standard that continues today. Uh, and the whole reason I found out about this was a study published in August 2023, so very recently, that tested menstrual hygiene products with expired donated human blood and said that hmm. was unusual in their press release. So basically, there's a ton of room for research and important health, public health knowledge with this sector of hygiene. And we need more tampon task force and other type That's of task right. force, apparently. Bring it back.
1: I mean, blood isn't hard to get, especially non-human blood, which definitely seems like it would be <laughs> better than saline. Yeah. So. I just feel like that should have been the thing that we did. That seems like a pretty obvious conclusion to draw, but. But now, did this have something to do with toxic shock syndrome? That, like, did it turn out that, like, it was, it was like we just had to change the way we were doing it and it became less of a problem?
0: So, toxic shock syndrome, like, spurred the formation of the tampon task force and it allowed people to choose less absorbent tampons and, like, standardized them so people could choose. Ones that are more suited for them. Mm -hmm. And then, separately from this, there's just been like better education on it. And I think better materials used where, like, don't use super absorbent and leave it in for 12 plus hours. Right. You want to like use a less absorbent tampon and change Mm -hmm. it more regularly.
1: But scare people appropriately, which is very hard to do. Scaring people appropriately is so hard because there's a bell curve of scared. Then in order to get everybody too appropriately scared, you have to push a lot of people into too scared. Mm. And that is, I don't know how to solve that problem from a public health perspective.
2: Synginas. Synginas are the answer.
1: That's what we need. Yes. Just make whole human bodies without brains and we'll do stuff to them. (laughs) Totally
0: ethical and good, Hank. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah what can we scare yeah. people bad enough with that that'll become normal and good
1: <laughs> well, we'll figure it out oh I have to choose a winner it's a weird gesture <laughs> I have to... it made sense to me yeah, yeah. just yeah. let it, Let the truth the truth s- flow through me pray, pray to Hygiena
0: uh, the Greek, to Greek goddess
2: yes you're communing with Hygiena uh-huh. Hygiena
1: how's it going <laughs> god damn okay i i think it's wild to me that they that this is so new and that we have so recently i mean this is both quite new but that we have so recently found the first ever sentence and that it's related to hygiene Ah, that's got to be the winner that's got to be the winner and i think that it puts sam over the top
2: i was gonna say i think it's not the first it's the first sentence in an alphabetical thing i think there's probably a Yes, a different dialect or a different writing yeah. system
1: that has it early. But yes. yeah, you are. it's correct. our first sentence. for In our alphabet and something yes. related to our alphabet, yes. which is dope. All right, now it's time to ask the science couch. Where we've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds.
2: Luca Luke on Discord asks, how bad or not bad is aluminum in deodorant or antiperspirant?
1: If it's bad, it's very hard to tell. Mm. Uh, we have not found a lot of evidence that it's bad. Uh, and that usually indicates that if it is bad, it's very a little bit bad. But I, I actually don't <laughs> know well enough to stay that, say that with any confidence.
2: Very, You don't know. You can't say very a little bit bad with any
1: confidence. <laughs> <laughs> is that what I said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean, though. You know what I mean? I yeah, I do. You I do.
0: hit the nail on the head. Anyone coming to tangents for a clickbait headline answer is going to get eh, sometimes vary a little bit uh, as the answer <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So the first antiperspirant was called EverDry and trademarked in 1903 in the US. Jeez. And EverDry's active ingredient was uh, aluminum chloride. And the way that yeah. aluminum salts work in antiperspirant is that they cause an obstruction of sweat gland ducts. And so what we think happens is the, the metal ions react in some way with the mucus polysaccharides, the mucopolysaccharides, that, and clog them up. Um, and they mm. kind of damage the epithelial cells, the skin cells, around the glands. And they form like a gooey plug that blocks sweat output for a given amount of time. Like,
1: it seems like something you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. is how i feel it's like the body's normal function let's stop that from up. and that mm-hmm.
0: and that was like the main anti-sentiment when antiperspirants first came out was that blocking right. sweating sweating is natural blocking sweating is unhealthy and i think that kind of snowballed into even after we found formulations that let the aluminum salts exist and the three big ones that like people are worried about with these aluminum compounds in antiperspirants are cancer, uh, specifically breast cancers, because mm-hmm. um, you're applying antiperspirants in many cases to armpit area. Mm. But there hasn't been any convincing evidence or consistent evidence that antiperspirant or aluminum compounds from antiperspirant collects in breast tissue leads to cancer, tumor growth, or anything like that. Um, even if they found detected a couple chemicals, there was no link between that and breast cancer risk second one was Alzheimer's because in the 1960s, a couple studies were finding um, levels of aluminum in the brains of people with Alzheimer's disease. And people just made the connection Ah. of like, oh, there's aluminum in brains. Oh, there's aluminum in antiperspirant. So um, there was a lot of fear. And other studies in the 1970s and onwards, the findings, like no findings were replicated that Aluminum and antiperspirant could make its way to the brain in any way, uh, or it mm-hmm. has anything to do with neurodegeneration. It kind of stays goopy in your sweat pores, and that's it. And then, same thing with the, th- the third one was kidney disease. So um, there were there were concerns when dialysis patients were given a drug called aluminum hydroxide to help people control high phosphorus levels in their blood, and then their kidneys. Um, couldn't remove the aluminum fast enough, but taking a a drug orally (laughs) is very different from like rubbing something on your skin with your sweat glands. Um, And Mm -hmm. they're two very different, like aluminum hydroxide is very different from aluminum chloride or other compounds in antiperspirants. Mm -hmm. Again, the aluminum that you rub on your skin or get into your sweat glands, like once that mucus or the dead skin or whatever you're doing to clog up your pores gets excreted and you sweat again, it kind of washes its way out. So, um, uh, according yeah. to I dermatologists, as far as I have read, I tried to investigate these as thoroughly as I could. Um, there isn't really anything, but but I think it's rooted in this idea that it's unnatural to block your sweat and oh, metal chemicals around our body. Uh oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which I don't know is always is always like really complicated when you're communicating health and medicine. Like I I'm poking a little bit of fun and maybe being a little bit mean because i know our audience is also like trust science but i think this can be really scary for people who don't necessarily understand um and hear messages like aluminum in my deodorant could be bad for me in my brain right um or could cause cancer
1: it is remarkable though how good we have gotten at like you hear about like an increase in the chance of cancer and it's much smaller than it sounds. But like epidemiologists are looking at how do you they're looking at like a hundred people per hundred thousand, you know? And it's like, how do you get that to ninety nine is what they're thinking or ninety seven or ninety five. But eat fiber, eat healthy exercise. We know what works. We don't have to do fad diets. It's been the same fad diet forever. (laughs) Eat less sugar eat plants eat protein that's it fiber there should be fiber in the food this is what my doctor was telling me yesterday um he's like you need to be healthier now because you're you got all this shit wrong with you because we poisoned you and i'm like what does that mean he's like just eat you know it's what it sounds like man
2: but what about the what about the Cadbury eggs you find on the ground Hank?
1: I don't know. YouTube just sent me a bunch of Pringles. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Anyway, let's end the episode. If you like this show, you want to help us out, super easy to do that. First, you go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents, become a patron, get access to our newsletter, our bonus episodes, and big news, we have hit 700 patrons on the yeah. Tangents Patreon, which means we're going to be doing our minions commentary. I don't know when we're going to do it. Get it's, ready to a whole lot of this. <laughs> If that sounds good to you, be sure to join our Patreon at any level to get access to that commentary as soon as it's released. Second, leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful. It helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to share your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people about, about us. us. We'll see you next time for our first episode of our annual Trick or Treat month of Surprise Gets. But for now, thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green.
0: I've been Siri Riley. Uh,
1: and I've been <laughs> Sorry,
0: I, I panicked. I was like, am I next? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> social <Your laughs> Tantrums is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our associate producer is Eve Schmidt. Our editor is Seth Glitzman. Our story editor is Alex Pillow. Our social media organizer is Julia buzz Bazzio. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Rivardi. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. Our executive producers are Nicole Sweeney and me, Hank Green, and of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled. But
2: one more thing. In many cases, we learn about personal hygiene because our parents tell us, wash your hands, or don't like that. And a study published mm-hmm. in February 2023 suggests that the same might be true for mandrills, the biggest kind of monkey. These researchers observed mandrills grooming each other socially with one exception. When many group members were infected with gut parasites, some females avoided grooming the perianal region of other monkeys. The researchers classify this butthole avoidance as hygienic behavior because it helps these females avoid parasite-related illness. Over the six years of observations, they noticed that mother, daughter, or maternal half-sister pairs of mandrills share similar hygiene when it comes to perianal grooming. So basically, it seems like the moms are telling their daughters not to touch someone else's parasite-ridden butthole. <laughs>
1: butthole Great advice avoidance. if I ever heard it. <laughs>